Paperman meets up to... Coming up next on the Media Project, a half hour of analysis and thoughtful commentary, we hope, on media issues. I'm Rex Smith. We'll be with Alan Shartok, Barbara Lombardo, and Judy Patrick talking about the power of the not-for-profit media. Is it growing? About the nature of reporting. Is it too negative for Joe Biden? Or is it just the way the news goes? And a lot more. That's all in the Media Project coming up next. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy. This is the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis on news events of the past week, how the news media is handling them. And we welcome you to some analysis with a team of veteran folks overseeing news organizations. I'm Rex Smith, here with Judy Patrick, Barbara Lombardo, and the irrepressible Alan Shartok. Judy, Barbara, and I being former newspaper editors, Alan formerly being the publisher of the Fire Island Gazette Tribune whatever, or whatever it was. <laughs> Sun. <laughs> the Sun, the Fire Island Sun, and the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Actually, I'm going to start by asking you something, Alan, and let me just sort of set this up a little bit. There's a question about the role of the media in the way the public perceives how the White House is doing. And this has political implications and policy implications for the U.S. You know, we look at a lot of different media critics often as we prepare for this show. Uh, Margaret Sullivan and Eric Wimple of the Washington Post and Brian Stelter of CNN and John Alsop of Columbia Journalism Review. And one of them that we look at is a guy named Eric Bollert, who actually grew up in Utica, who uh, used to be a senior editor of Salon and Rolling Stone. And he is a media critic whose theory is that America is booming under Joe Biden, but you wouldn't know it by the way the press covers him. What do you think about that theory, Alan? Do you think there is a negative slant on the coverage of Joe Biden that is affecting his standing? Well, it's interesting. No, I think Joe Biden is finding his sea legs now, and he's getting more popular 
in my opinion, and this is just the sense of things, than he was before when he was more namby-pamby and wasn't really being firm on things like, for example, the Russians and what they're doing. So I think he's finding his sea legs. I think he's getting better. I think the press is a negative group of people, particularly the people who are on this show with names. <laughs> and, you know, you're judged as a journalist by whether you score on somebody, whether you have the negative chops. Now, I, I think that, in fact, the press was very tough on the former president, Trump, and that they have been less tough on Biden. I think Biden's negative ratings in the beginning were due to Biden. And, you know, I, I think the press is voracious in trying to bring people down. That's their job, they think. But that's what it is. All right. Barbara, what do you think about Alan's analysis there? <laughs> I beg to differ. I don't know any news organization's mission statement saying that their job is to bring somebody down or that there's glee in doing so. The problem is, I think, that there's oversimplification and that people jump on the bandwagon and don't tell the full story in the media and that people are re-reporting the same numbers over and over without the depth. And we've talked about this before when a president was given the credit and given the blame for the good things and the bad things, even if it's something that they really don't control. So when it's happening now with things are good, they should be getting some more credit. And, and it's disturbing to me that that's not clear. Every time I go to the store, I'm noticing that prices are up. I've been inundated by the media where I'm thinking, oh, that darn Biden. I'm saying to myself, semi-kiddingly, because I know that it's really not just Biden's fault. So I think this is really disturbing because it generates a feeling in the country and an attitude that becomes hard to beat. It's irresponsible of the media. I don't know if they're really trying to bring somebody down, but I think that they are being irresponsible, and it, and it worries me. I don't think they're harder on Biden than they were on Trump, but I think that Trump was better at sloughing it off. Judy, you think uh, any differently about what Eric Bowler calls the media drumbeat of negativity? It wasn't that long ago that former President Trump, when he was president, when the gasoline prices were really low, he was taking credit for it. When the stock market went into the stratosphere, he was taking credit for it. And the press did a pretty good job of being at his heels saying, that's not within your purview. You have little control over that. They're trying to do that a little bit with Biden, but you can't ignore the fact that the political arena is very dependent on the economy and how it goes. It doesn't matter whether or not the president has any control over it. There's certain things he does have control over and uh, that you need to draw attention to it. I think they're trying to be fair, but covering the economy and detailing the political consequences is important. The polling shows, as much as I hate polls, the polling shows that Americans are concerned about the economy and they do look at the federal administration for help in dealing with it. Well, that makes it even more important yep. for the media to be correctly reporting so that people know what they ought to think. And one of the things pointed out in the article Rex was referring to was uh, last week when the Commerce Department announced that the economy grew at the fastest rate in 40 years, none of the network newscasts treated that announcement as a big deal. So that, I think, is kind of what Alan was getting at. I think the phrasing, Alan, when you said their goal is to take people down, I think it's the nature of news to report things that are deviations. There is almost a bad news bias. And so prices rising is very visible, and that tends to be the focus rather than growth, the GDP growing at an explosive rate. 
Yeah, it's almost like we don't news. know. We in the media don't know how to report that correctly. Oh, no, it's good yeah. news. Guess we should ignore that. <laughs> what do you do about that? And I've often pointed out to people who complain to me about this as a newspaper editor, I would say, well, yes, it's true that 100 planes land and yep. take off safely from Albany International Airport every day. We don't write about them, but we do write about the one that belly flops. That's true. Isn't that just sort of the nature of news? I don't know that it's to take people down intentionally. You think that's fair, Alan? No, I think it is what we have always called on this show the Weltanschung of the press. In other words, the worldview of the press is what you just said. And I was almost going to say what you said, Rex, because, you know, I've learned that from you about the one one plane uh, <laughs> belly flop. But, yes, that's what makes news as opposed to, oh, I saw a man walking down the street with a nice dog the other day. If the dog bit somebody, that was different. Well, take inflation, for example. There's no denying that inflation has dramatically increased, and the pervasive view is that that's a bad thing. But there are positive consequences for rising prices. You know, maybe my checking account will start to yield more interest. Maybe 1% interest rate to borrow money is an unreasonably low figure. It's not anything that the press tends to cover. They just tend to cover the idea that rising inflation is bad. I remember during the Obama administration, I was moderating a a program on public television where I made the point of saying, wow, we've had four straight months of 200,000 plus job growth. And that was really great news. At the end of last year, when in November, there were only 210,000 jobs created, NPR reported that as a bust. You know, so it depends on the expectation. And we have to be very careful as journalists when we report about expectations as opposed to what is real, you know, is 200,000 plus jobs being created in a month really great, as we used to think, or is it not so good? You know, we've got unemployment down at 4%. That's pretty great and fallen. There's no denying that this is a difficult situation for editors and broadcast and print to deal with. And knowing when to emphasize something and when it just, uh, right, is it beating expectations? When is it news and when is it not news? And trying to be careful to not appear to bend over backwards to give somebody more favorable or less favorable coverage sometimes backfires. Yeah. I'd just like to say something, if you don't mind. I have trouble getting in here. All three of you... um... All three of you. Sorry. All three of you are editors, and you all. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of you know hypocrisy here on your parts because you're editors, and you knew a story when you saw it. And I can't believe that if the story had negative connotations, or as Rex has always said, "Golly gee whiz, Martha," that you didn't know that this is something to send a reporter out on. Now, come on, fess up. Nobody said we did. You cover the good news and the bad news, of course. I mean, we do a lot of stories that are heartwarming and that talk about how some swell things. Most news is actually neutral. It's just what's going on. People don't tend to look at it that way. And, of course, how you feel about the news depends on where you stand. You know, if Saratoga Springs High School loses a ball game, that was probably bad news for readers of the Saratogian. But it might have been good news for readers of the Gazette if they lost to Schenectady High. I don't know. So that's part of what the news media does, as a matter of fact. Yeah, spy on you and your claims of hypocrisy, Alan. One of the issues with business news is with editors, spy, spy on you. Boy, <laughs> you mean boy? That's Nero Wolf. Spy on you. But with business news, I think a lot of times for most readers, it's hard to get them to read business news, especially with general economic news. The news they tend to be kind of boring stories. Even for me, reading a big long business story, sometimes I had to just slog through them, and it's hard to put a value judgment on them 
whether they're good news or bad news, but you can tell whether they're news news. I remember when the stock market crashed in 2008. That was bad news. I think we could all agree that that deserved to be on the front page, very big type. Those kind of stories don't come along every day, but once a week you get a story about the economy, usually on Thursday or Friday, and you know it's hard to tell whether you should read it, whether you should make a big deal of it or not. I think probably journalists need more business expertise. The average journalist doesn't have it. There's a whole subspecialty of reporters who are business reporters who do a pretty good job. But what about the concept of accessibility? Now, what I mean by that is, you know, Joe Donahue does a great job on a roundtable program. He brings up the major issues of the world. And just the other day, I happened to slip into the conversation the idea that the squirrels were driving us crazy at our bird feeder. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think think got the most comments or a lot of comments? And those were the squirrels at the bird feeder and what everybody did. So accessibility, what people are dealing with themselves, has a great deal to do with what's a successful news story. Don't you see? That's absolutely right, Alan. And that's why newspapers have carried horoscopes and comics and everything else. You know, the New York Times this past week passed 10 million subscribers. Isn't that terrific? But the growth is due in no small part to non-news, to cooking, to sports. They just bought a new sports franchise that had 1.2 million readers. The Times bought Wordle, you know, this fabulous uh, board game. So we can't say that just because the media outlet, the serious news is the only thing that people are interested in. People have broad interest and you've got to pay attention to that, right? Don't you? Well, if you're addressing me when you say, don't you? Yeah, I think people have broad interest, but I think we tend to think that the news, and I think people at newspapers tend to think that the news is serious, very serious. And whereas I'm not so sure most people understand a good deal of what's going on or wives. Take Putin right now. Who knows what he's up to? But it's a major story because it could lead to war. Nevertheless, I don't know that most people understand what the issues are. Well, that is true, but you keep trying, and I think that if you read thoughtful news outlets that have reporters who specialize in national security, they do the best job they can to interpret our officials and officials everywhere making the analysis of that. So just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we can't try to report it as best we can. But you have to give people a broad diet, not just the broccoli, you know, the ice cream as well. We talk about that a lot in this show, and that's worth paying attention to. To comment on this, media at wamc.org is how you can share your thoughts. That's our email address, media at wamc.org. You know, since we are on public radio, I want to make note of the fact that public media, not-for-profit media, is having quite a heyday in Chicago. Chicago Public Media, the major public media outlet in Chicago, though not the only one, has radio and TV, has just acquired the Sun-Time tabloid, the second newspaper of the Windy City. They raised $61 million, uh, along with a lot of funding from a couple of foundations, to basically save the Sun-Times and turn it into a not-for-profit. So that's kind of interesting. And Alan, I know you've got a fundraiser coming up. I think you've kind of shown the value of not-for-profit media. You're uh, going great guns these days at WAMC, right? It's true. And in fact, we've never seen anything like it. We really are amazed at how many envelopes we open where people aren't even being asked. They're just sending their their money to 318 Central Avenue, Albany, New York, 12206. Don't you see <laughs> what I <laughs> Don't you see what I did there? Very impressive. But, and what is it that makes this happen? 
Well, I have a theory that newspapers have traditionally been owned by people. You know, publishers, and your old newspaper, the Times Union, is a Hearst paper, and Hearst is the publisher. You know, I think that people have a respect when there is not a profit motive involved in it. Now, somebody will say, oh, come on, Alan, you know that you know there's profit and you have to pay people and all the rest of it. But nobody dies and leaves it to their children. So I think that's part of the American spirit now is turning to not-for-profit. I think you have a good point, Alan. There are 350 members now of something called the Institute for Nonprofit News, which helps a lot of small newsrooms around. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot of interest. I'm actually working with some people who are trying to take a bunch of weeklies that are now owned by a family into a nonprofit, which would be an interesting approach. I think with some of the same ideas that you're expressing here, it's interesting. I'm on the board of this terrific nonprofit in the Adirondacks, the Adirondack Explorer, which publishes seven print magazines that has two websites and is growing terrifically and is really a very strong voice for what's going on in the Adirondacks. And that is the signal of what's going on in the media these days as media outlets try to survive. Judy, don't you deal with some nonprofits in the New York Press Association, of which you are the vice president? Yeah, you know, but I would say, wow, to Alan's characterization that Americans, you know, are tending to gravitate toward nonprofit because we are a capitalistic society. And I think Americans like the idea of people owning their own business and developing it and growing it and employing people. Most of the newspapers, a lot, many of the newspapers I deal with are family-owned, small, you know, mom-and-pop operations or, you know, small companies not owned by big conglomerates or corporations. So I come up through the tradition of it being a business. I think there's room for nonprofits, but what I've seen from the nonprofits, from many of them, they're niche publications. WAMC is very big. It has a very wide footprint, or they focus on a particular topic, like in the Adirondacks, they're focused on Adirondack issues or focused on a particular readership. I love the idea in Chicago, while they are merging or they they're coordinating, they are going to keep separate newsrooms because I long have believed that too many mergers are bad for coverage because I think the competition in a local market is important. But I would hope that there will always be a place for some profit. I'm telling you, newspapers aren't making a lot of profit nowadays anyway. They used to maybe a generation ago, but now many of them, while they don't technically have 5013C status, I think a lot of them are basically nonprofits. I think if the nonprofit model works, that we should go for it. I have a question about whether that will actually help reinvigorate the local news deserts where there isn't local news at smaller places. And I'm concerned about how a news aggregating, which has other names for it also, you know, comes into play. And Rex, you might be able to tell me this. For example, there's a publication online called Foothills Business Daily. They might do some original reporting, but they have a lot of aggregation. And you know, even this morning's you know, summary of news, they'll give you maybe four paragraphs on four different stories. And one links to the uh, Post-Star, another one to the Gazette, another one to the Times Union, and you know, a couple of repeats of those publications. So they are providing enough news that the reader may only need that one or two paragraphs of information. Does that sort of aggregation help or hurt the local newspapers that are actually investing their money in you know, gathering and reporting that news? Well, that's a really great question, and that is at the heart of this effort in Congress that is sort of transcending left and right 
to remove the antitrust exemption for newspapers so that they might be able to bargain with the big aggregators, with Google and Facebook and others, to say, you've got to pay us more for this content you're using. And that would actually uh, make it possible, actually, for even those little aggregators like that to be required to pay the news organizations that they are using the content from. You know, you get the benefit that goes to the news organizations that create that reporting is you get the traffic. You get the visitors to your content digitally. The downside is that you lose the exclusivity of your content. And so anybody who looks at it, you may be that outfit that you're talking about maybe using a story from the Times Union or from the Saratogian, and you just can't tell people don't really uh, look at it. So I think there's some benefit to this legislation that would give the media a little bit more bargaining power in dealing with these big aggregators. I think Alan's not in favor of that. Right. What we find (laughs) at at WAMC at Public Radio is that, I mean, in the old days, getting people from newspapers and others to sit in on our panels were very difficult. Now it's not. And I suspect that's because a decision has been made by you and your colleagues and people in charge that there's a good reason for hitching your wagon, for example, to a radio or television station. The more people who see the newspapers on those places are likely to pick up the paper itself. Well, you hope that besides the clicks for that story, that it would generate subscribers for the online print products and membership for the nonprofit radio station. We hope that it translates into that. Do you think that's what's happening? In other words, do you think this strategy of appearing for free, by the way, on WAMC and other places, or CNN? I mean, you can't turn the cable channel on without seeing somebody from one of the major newspapers, Maggie Haberman or anybody else on there. I don't know who gets paid and who doesn't. But clearly, that train has left, and it's already happening that the papers have decided this is the way to go. But it's both sides. One hand washes the other. You, Alan, are getting the benefit of the free content. You're getting the expertise of having Chris Churchill and and Mike Spain and whoever else you're using from the other media outlets. With all due respect, you're getting the benefit of the three of us, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and Rex Smith, who have been appearing on this program for free for years. So that's good for WAMC. And I think it was good for the media outlets that uh, we were associated with as well, and to have the cross benefit. And there's another, there are a couple of other things. A, I think Maggie Haverman does get paid a small amount by the New York Times for every media appearance. B, for journalists, your goal is access. You want people to have access to your reporting. You want to, you don't want to just be sitting there writing the piece for your own individual publication. So you're really eager to get out there. And my view as an editor was that when my reporters went out onto WAMC, that improved their job satisfaction. They felt good about what they were doing. And that was a benefit, you know, an HR benefit as well. So I think there are many reasons why this is happening. And we are all getting a lot more, collaborating a lot more than we ever used to. You know, that's good, isn't it? It's good for our listeners and viewers and readers. And it's a two-way street as well. I mean, I think 
that it's good for people in broadcast, television, radio, when they are appear in the pages of a local newspaper. I think that has long been a situation. I always appreciated the fact when I covered media back in the day a long time ago when I called Alan and wanted to talk to him about, you know, a specific program or ratings or what was happening in the local media market that he would talk to me. And I thought that that, that has always been the case. I mean, they were broadcasted that long before print knew that it was important to cross the line. It's very prestigious to see a printed word with your name in it. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it certainly is true. I'm just stunned by Judy expressing her gratitude that Alan would speak to her. <laughs> well, very there were a lot of reasons. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a good thing. It does also just extend the impact of a story. And that's really a terrific thing. New York Magazine uh, did a huge piece recently on the Harry Limousine crash, uh, this terrible calamity that occurred three years ago. And um, a great part of the story, actually, was drawing from Times Union reporting. And the main character of the story was the terrific Times Union reporter, uh, Larry Rulison, who uncovered a lot of the documents that are now part of the case going forward. So that was a benefit to Larry and to the Times Union, but it also was great for New York Magazine because their readers were able to read about this amazing upstate calamity, the worst transportation disaster in what a decade in America uh, that many people down in the city weren't aware of because they only pay attention to their little local newspaper, uh, the New York Times. <laughs> Only kidding, folks. Okay. And so is there uh, more news that we ought to be paying attention to that we're not? Are there topics that we are – what is your top undercover topic these days? What is it that if we're no longer running newsrooms, Judy, Barbara, and me, Alan, you, I suppose you could have some influence on the newsroom at WAMC. What is it that you would like to see us pick up? that we're not? Anybody have well, a of, favorite topic uh, in our last minute here? Well, first of all, I don't tell our newsroom what to do. They are really very independent. I may have a conversation or two, but that's not the way it works. But I do wonder whether or not Jeff Zucker, for example. I mean, you would think that this story about whether he was making out with his associate was equal to whether the Russians were going to come marching into uh, Ukraine. Uh, so um, so uh, what I'm always so interested in is the role of sex in reporting, and as far as I'm concerned, that will never end. Hey, I got something that is very unsexy. I would love to see more uh, reporting at the local level of how all these millions and millions of dollars of federal COVID stimulus payments that went out to every city, town, village, county. I want to know how that money is being spent. I'm not seeing enough of it. I want that kind of accountability, journalism. I like that idea, Judy, because going back to our, our earlier discussion that we focus on the bad news in the media, I do want to know whether that money was misused as instances have come up where people fraudulently obtained lots and lots of money. And conversely, I'd like to know how that money has kept people in business and kept jobs. So I, that's a good one. And I do want to know whether the COVID-19 people who died were vaccinated or not. All right. That's all we have time for today. I'm oh. sorry to have to cut it off here. Oh. Oh, too bad. Next time around, we'll get more. Alan Shartok, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, and you folks for joining us once again this week on The Media Project. She chopped him into fragments. She stuffed him in a trunk. 
She shipped it all back yonder to her uncle in Podunk. Now newspaper men meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's unk. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ting-a-ling-ting-a-ling-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Now, newspaper men are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Chartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. You can listen to our podcast the Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Now publishers of such interesting people Their policy is an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>